0: The following program is a part of the Movie Morgue Network. For a funeral, <laughs> but not mine, <laughs> yours. <laughs> for you see, I've already been dead for such a very, very long time, but I've come back to bring you news of the most gruesome twosome ever produced. Nerdcast. This is a spoiler podcast. And now, your hosts, Tim S. Turner and Kelly Hogamoo.
1: Hello again. Welcome to the 21st episode of the Bitter Bastard Nerdcast. This is our annual Halloween episode, and right off the bat, I have to take the blame for it being so damn late. Uh, Sometimes life interferes in the best laid plans. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you as we tackle a new Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, punch our tickets for Lombardo Bava's Demons, and strip down for the Canon Classic X-Ray. But before we get to all that, please join me in welcoming back to the microphone the founder of the B-Movie BFF's website, Kelly Hogaboom. Hey, good afternoon, Tim. Hello, hello. Uh, so, um, a lot of fun stuff uh, during October, um, you know, because with Halloween, a lot of the, the network channels uh, all seem to just go hog wild with all the, you know, the horror movie stuff. So, that's great for me. Um So uh, what have you been watching in the time since our last show?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, So, you know, I don't have television, but I have Netflix, and they put out so much stuff. Um, And I think since we talked, the things that I would bring up relevant to the podcast, and I know you weren't a fan of the episode you saw, but I did like the Haunting of Hill House series. Ah. And um, I guess for anyone listening, Um, It's, it's obviously, I mean, I think everyone knows, I mean, people loved it. It's definitely not based on the book. It's more like based on the concept uh, in the book. That said, it is, it is full of Easter eggs from both the, the 1959 book and the 1963 black and white film. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I saw pe- people were loving it. People were enjoying it. Uh, they were saying it was so scary that they were throwing up. And I, <laughs> you know, I, any, anytime you hear a story like that, I feel like that's such a, you know, not everybody is scared by the same stuff, you know. So uh, I would say there were a few scary moments. Um, I would call the, the program extremely ambitious and, I enjoyed it. I felt like it was at 10 episodes, it was just a little bit too long, but no. um, I, I would watch it again, and that's kind of rare for me with a television program, so I, I did like it. And yeah, the,
1: I, I, I did not care for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: well, uh, I almost bailed after the first episode, actually, so I totally get that, but um, I'm glad I stuck with it. it um and uh, I also finished the chilling adventures of Sabrina, which how, how is that? You know, it's it's interesting. Like I think you would have to be someone who likes um, those sort of CW teen dramas, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't. Like I didn't care for Riverdale, which had some of the same team. I kind of I bailed out of Riverdale after a season. Um, but I did like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and that was another one where after two episodes I was almost out of there. But by the end of the series, I was I was dug in. But definitely, like um, I thought it was pretty cool. It, it's kind of like like I didn't care for Buffy, but if you kind of like that, <gasps> yeah. If you're like if you like those kinds of like high you know cute sexy high school kids fighting evil, I would check out Sabrina for sure. Um, great costumes too which is a huge draw for me as you know um well first of all uh, RE Buffy how dare you i know <laughs> i you know what i just i just think Joss Whedon's kind of a douche and although i've liked a few of his projects i i'm not a fan so oh yeah <laughs> i'm actually like physically
1: hurt. That's like one of my top five favorite shows ever.
2: Well, and you know this is going to come up later when we talk about our favorites. But part of that is just when you get exposed to something, like where you're at in your life. And I didn't get exposed to Buffy as a as a young person because I don't. I didn't have TV, so I yeah. you know I try to watch it. Another one I didn't get into was Supernatural, and there's a huge fandom for that one. <coughs> huge. Uh, yeah, I,
1: I I watched like the first season and a half of it, and I lost interest.
2: Yeah, there's, are there like 11, 12, like it's, it's got. I think it's in its 13th season yeah, or some crazy yeah. thing. Which I think is great. Like imagine how happy the fans are, but, um, you know, TV programs are hard to hook me in, especially if they're going to have, you know, seven, eight, 20 seasons. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of.
1: Eh. Oh, you, you're, you're, you're all ready for Dr. Who then. And it's like uh, 40 yeah. plus
2: seasons. Yeah. <laughs> mm, I. Again, I'm happy that I'm happy that other people like Doctor Who and I'm I'm seeing that the new this new one is people are loving it. Um so you you're I'm watching you watch it. You seem to love it. Yeah, you know, I,
1: I really um I really like Jodie Whitaker. Um I, I, I think when you watch her one of the key things when you watch a new Doctor on the show is can you see the character there? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In in that in the that new persona. Because each persona is different, but there's a there's a through line. Gotcha. You know that's that's a constant, and and I can definitely see it with her. I think my only real complaint is I think the writing has been very subpar. Oh. Okay. Uh, last week's episode, uh, which is the one you probably saw me talking about, called "Demons of the Punjab," uh, I thought was fantastic, and the the episode Rosa that was about Rosa Parks was really well done. I, I, I think everything else has been very flat. Oh, okay. But but that's not her fault, you know.
2: Yeah, I, uh, um, I just feel I. It's again, it's kind of who are you friends with because everyone I'm seeing who watches it seems to be loving it. So th- you know, that's that's great. I'll probably never. I only watched a few episodes with Christopher Eccleston, um, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't dive into Doctor Who. But well, it's it's got such a deep, uh, uh, yeah. layered
1: history. It's it, it's it's very difficult to just jump in. I mean, granted, Eccleston was the first of the new series, and I guess people consider that a jumping-off point, but really, you're talking about, you know, this is literally, like, the <laughs> the uh, ninth person to play this role, right. and each, each is different, and it's like, and there's so much history and
2: baggage
1: that, it, you know, if you don't know any of that, it, it can be kind of hard to penetrate, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, and I'm not willing to start <clears throat> from the beginning, so... yeah. <laughs> And the the last thing I would mention, I watched that you. I don't know if you would like it. Um, I mean, maybe you've seen it. Is the 2017? I think it was a Netflix film called The Ritual. Um, oh, uh,
1: is that the one in the woods? Yes, uh, in, the, in the snow and everything. Yeah. well, there's yeah. no snow or the, sort of. Yeah, yeah the
2: <laughs> yeah. It's like it's four um, four. Du- you know, kind of thirty something dudes who are meeting up regularly and they kind of have a lads vacation every year or two. And they, they, you know, one of them, something happens. So they end up going to hike in Sweden. Um, and they're kind of, you know, they're fairly fit guys, but they're not super prepared for the trip. And I I consider it kind of like the descent, but with dudes, it's kind of got that, (laughs) um, thread, but it was better than I thought it would be. Rafe Spall, um, who you might remember is one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz. He, he's um, Right. <laughs> and he was the bad guy in the last Jurassic World movie. But he's, yeah. he is great in it. And there is a bunch of creepy occult stuff. And there's some monsters with some practical effects. And I I just ended up really liking it. I felt like it was a nice, tidy survival horror film and i recommend it it was it was fun as fun as a as a extremely distressing uh, <laughs> ritual murder show can be so props to the ritual i, I enjoyed it and
1: i really love the character the, the creature design
2: yeah me of, too. of
1: that 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 monster was the really weird looking yes. but but it was very cool and like you said a lot of uh, practical effects which made it much more uh, exciting as far as I'm concerned, because I, I, I've always been a practical effects guy over CG just because it's, you know, the physical interaction with the actors is more, feels more, more real. Yeah. Um, And I actually really enjoyed The Ritual. That was one of those ones where I was, it was a, a, a day I called in sick and I was bored and uh, it's like, uh watch this, I guess. And I actually really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. It's kind of funny because I watched the, um, I think it was called Apostle, which is about the same time and kind of one of those low key horror and I didn't like it at all. So, um, I mean, even though it had a really cool premise and a great cast. So yeah, it's one of those surprises, right? You're kind of not expecting much, but then you're pleasantly surprised. Well, I,
1: uh let's see well, I, the the first thing I would mention that I've been watching is, um, uh, I don't know. You don't have the, the shutter, streaming service to you
2: <laughs> i have and i haven't like back and forth <laughs>
1: oh you, you keep going back and forth. yes i yeah. do <laughs> well right now they have this this new uh short form series called uh dead wax and i absolutely loved it, it it's so uh unusual i mean i i will i you know i mean there's some people have been saying it's kind of like a, a um, like a rip off of the ring and I guess in some way you could say that there's truth to that. Um, but it's I, it's really very much its own entity and it, what it is is this this young woman uh, who uh, tends to she breaks into people's homes and steals expensive LPS and you know sells them on the black market and everything for money and um, it it, uh, it goes into this whole thing of the culture of people who are really into collecting vinyl. And there's this special record and it's a red record and anybody who listens to it, it, it kills them or it drives them insane. And it's, there's only one of them in the world. And so she's got to try and find this one red record and they, the way they did it, instead of doing it as a two hour movie, they broke it up into, I think, eight segments and because they wanted it to be like cuts on a record and or chapters in a book or whatever, and uh, I really really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's and it's got Ted Raimi in it, which anytime I get to see Ted Raimi in something and given some character work to do, I I, I love it. Um, so
2: how long is each of the eight segments?
1: Uh, some of them are real short. Like there's one that's about like I think eight minutes, and then uh, the longest one I think is seventeen minutes. Okay, that's, and, that's a yeah,
2: cool premise.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's got. A really uh, a gorgeous sound design, uh, very much like a David Lynch film uh, where uh, he, he really, really does a great job of um, bringing in uh, a, a very uh, – deep stereophonic sound with things that you have to really listen to very closely. And it, it, it creates a, a, an, like an aural landscape and it's really beautiful. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a brilliant show. And I think, um, it's, it's, you know, obviously, well, I can't say I can't give anything away, but there's a reason that you can't, <laughs> they can't do any more of it. But, uh, I, I, really enjoyed it and I thought it was wonderful. Cool. Um, and the other thing I've been watching, uh, cause we, um, because of, uh, some of the, wildfires that are nearby uh i say nearby like 100 miles away uh we've had a, some days where we were sent home from work because of the air quality and so wow. i had like lots of time to watch stuff and um what i started doing was breaking out uh my dvds of sctv and um i i just i forget every time how much i loved that show and how much i i miss it mm. and um And I was always much more a fan of that than SNL. Right.
2: Uh, I mean,
1: I've watched every season of Saturday Night Live since 1975, and good and bad, and there's a lot of bad in there, but there's a lot of good. But uh, the thing with SCTV that I always loved so much was the premise of the show within a show. Mm -hmm. Because not only do you you have like there's regular characters and stuff, but then you also get the -the behind-the-scenes stuff at the studio. You see them living their lives and doing stuff. And to me, that was brilliant. And um, so much um, uh, future uh, big names. Yeah, you know? I mean, obviously John Candy is the one everybody remembers, but uh, you know, I mean, Eugene Levy went on to a lot of stuff, right. and uh, Andrea Catherine Martin, O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara, yeah, yeah Mark Short, uh, yeah, yeah, so many of them. It's just brilliant, funny stuff, and uh, I, I really think it's a shame that. I, you really can't find them anywhere right now except for, like, YouTube or something.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of, like, The State, um, which is another sketch comedy that I love. Mm-hmm. It's got some talent who kind of went other places. And, uh, you know, if I want to watch that, I have to find some grainy YouTube video or whatever to right. – uh, Yeah, so, yeah. Um,
1: and uh, <clears throat> let's see. The last thing uh, I watched, I got, uh, <laughs> I got two DVD or Blu-rays in the mail. Uh, and uh, you know and i'll admit they're um in in the realm of quality filmmaking they're probably hot garbage uh <laughs> but i i love them anyway uh one of them is the burning um which i'm not sure if you've seen no but uh you know that came out like you know in the wake of friday the 13th and everything and um uh so you know you've got this burned uh, killer who's killing kids at a summer camp like you know okay that's super original um one of the reasons to watch it though is two names that are in the cast and that is Jason Alexander and Holly, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter,
2: that's right. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, uh. Oh my god, seeing <laughs> young Holly Hunter in a little camper's outfit is so endearing. Well, you're a big
2: Holly Hunter fan. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I adore her.
1: Yeah. But but it is it really is amazing to see that. and Jason Alexander with hair.
2: Mm. And
1: and he's a jock. Uh
2: I feel like I've seen clips of him. Like, is he wearing like a baseball t-shirt? Like, I think oh, I've yeah. seen. Yeah, okay, that's where that comes from then. Because oh yeah, okay, all right, yeah. And,
1: so and, and lower down on the list, I mean, like Fisher Stevens is in there too. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's got it's mainly known like today because of um, the absolutely groundbreaking gore effects by Tom Savini. I mean, they're, I mean, I remember the first time I saw this one scene in particular, I was like, Oh my God. Right. Okay. It, it, I mean, it looked pretty real. I, you know, up to that point, a lot of, especially in the seventies, everything, if you saw blood looked like, um, uh, like, a uh, tempera paint or yeah, red nail polish. Right, right. And this looked much more realistic. Right. That's uh, cool. Yeah, and then the other one that I saw it was uh, Night School with um, uh, Young Rachel Ward and uh, you know pre Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and pre Thornbirds and all, um, and, and and another typical like, typical eighties slasher thing, you know, um, with an absolutely ridiculous uh, uh, solution to the uh, who the killer is and and what their motivation is. It, it, it's it's so ridiculous. Uh, but uh, you know, for some reason I, am mentally damaged and I enjoy these stupid movies, but uh, I can always find something I enjoy in them. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, that's, that's it for everything. Cool. That's a co- you know? Those are
2: cool sounding little slashers though. There's so yeah. many, there's so many of them. It's like, how would you, how do you pick? Right.
1: Well, yeah. For like about a three year period, it was such a cottage industry.
2: Yeah. You know, I
1: mean, they just, everybody was putting them out I mean the, you know, like, a lot of them came out of Canada but I mean there's an you know, American and then like some British ones and of course there's a lot of Italian
2: because <laughs> yeah.
1: they you know if, if they see something they like they'll do about 2000 right. of
2: them
1: <laughs> 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 But some of them are good but holy yeah. cow some of them aren't yeah. um, anyways let's get on to our main things uh what's a 61 year old serial killer to do i mean all you did was kill some kids 40 years ago survive being shot six times and stand silent and motionless for decades well first of all clearly you do a lot of cardio and watch a lot of tony robbins to get you really motivated when an obviously moronic podcaster comes to visit you in stir and generously offers you your old mask back gosh darn it you seize the day so you're back in your old stomping grounds, hacking away like there's no tomorrow. And if it wasn't for that pesky Laurie Strode and her armed fortress, you could really reach for your dreams and finally bring some joy back to Halloween. Testing one two
2: three,
0: we're on. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night and has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see.
1: everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of
0: year yeah i mean your grandmother is laurie strode she was almost murdered
1: wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters no
2: it was not her brother that's something that people made up do you know that i pray every night
0: that he would escape the hell did you do that for
1: so i can kill him
2: bus crashed
0: mom what bus crashed
2: Michael escaped
0: escaped. excuse me somebody's in here hello I've waited for this night?
2: He's waited for me? I've waited for him. Get out the lawn! Get inside! You don't believe in the Boogeyman? He's here!
0: Michael! You
1: should. Can you close the closet door so uh, this is a movie that uh, you know I think a lot of fans were waiting for yeah. uh, it's because it's been a long time since they did um, well h2o and resurrection and then there was this horrible, horrible, unmentionable Rob Zombie abominations, um, and uh, so I was really looking forward to this. Especially when they said, you know, that Jamie Lee Curtis is back on board. So, what was your your opinion of it?
2: Oh my gosh! Well, I loved it, and it was so cool, oh, so cool to see how well it's done. I I'm always happy to see a film that I like do really well. Um, mm-hmm. Like some of the films we're going to talk about tonight. And our favorites, some of those didn't do well when they came out, right? But now they're right. well regarded. But uh, I loved it so much. And um, as you know, I went and saw it like the night before, or whatever. And it was a packed theater. And what was so cool is I mean, this film is full of Easter eggs and references to especially the first film, but actually a lot of the sequels. Yeah, and I could tell by the audience's reactions that they had a familiarity with mm-hmm. with the first film, and a lot of the people who were laughing and clapping at these references were young, um, you know, nineteen, like twenty two, and that was so cool for me to see that. So I, it really, um, you know, I don't go to the movie theater that often because we have such a great system at home, but it, like you and I talked about, it really. Um, for a horror film, a good horror film, I'm seriously considering you know seeing that in the in the packed theater as much as possible because it was such a cool experience to do it in a, in a crowd. Oh yeah, it
1: was I, I saw it and it was packed and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that um, David Gordon Green really had a good idea to take it back to the roots. It, it basically eliminates everything to number two on. And just focuses on it being a direct sequel to the very first film. Right. And um, the look of it, the feel of it, um, even even the opening credits, like, you know, the font, everything about it just screamed 1978. Yeah. And I absolutely loved that. Um, I loved that they they got back Nick Castle to do at least like a, a cameo in the role of of, um, of Michael Myers. They had a different actor doing it for the rest of the film. Um, but uh, I, I, I thought it was, it was such a, 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 an exciting film. I, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was great. I, I actually liked her interpretation of the character more than when she did it in H2O. Yeah. Um, and uh, the supporting cast is really good. Uh, and, you know, like familiar actors. I, I love Will Patton. I've always been a big fan of his. Um, and it, I will tell you though, uh there's one thing about this film that it this absolutely pissed me off, and I remember in the theater <clears throat> when I saw it, I kind of threw my hands up and went, Ugh. <laughs> "Right, I and, bet I can
2: guess what it is." But go on,
1: and it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, this, as we say every time, it is a spoiler podcast, so you know you can fast forward if you want. Um. There's a certain point when Michael Myers' new psychiatrist and uh, Will Patton, who's the sheriff, uh, are driving supposedly to go and and, and rescue, uh, you know, Laurie Strode and her family. And they see Michael Myers and um, uh, Patton floors it and runs him over, which was great. But then you think, well, if if he's dead now, it's like kind of. (laughs) <laughs> anticlimactic, yes. right? Kind of anticlimactic, but but still, I mean, like you know, uh you you and me, if like you're an average person, and you're in that situation. That's exactly what you do: is you gun it and you run him over, probably back over him several times. <laughs> but then the cop, he gets out and he goes, he's like, "I'm going to shoot him in the face," <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> finally, <laughs> somebody is intelligent in one of these things, right?" And then uh, and, and the doctor, like, stabs him in the throat. Right. Completely out of left field. And like, oh, no, I need Michael to keep going because I want to study him as he kills people to learn the true essence right. of evil. And I'm like, right. are you shitting me? Right. I... I just could not believe, and thank God I've been hearing from other people that that's like the one thing in the movie that just made them just slap. You know, like you could hear nationwide people like slapping their forehead, like, right. You know, at that moment, it's like, oh my god. At this point, why don't you just bring in the cult of Thorn again, right? And say he's immortal. I mean, right, it's right.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that scene was corny. Um, I. I mean, this film has so many references. Um, I read an interview of David Gordon Green, and he, his team, put in more references than even he kind of was grasping. Like there were some yeah. huge Halloween fans on the team, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the for me the there were a couple liabilities of the film. And this is funny because the more I like a film, the more I will nitpick it. Do you know what me I mean? Too. Like I want to yeah, talk too. about every detail. <laughs> Um, so I you know this film is an excellent excellent film, whether you like the the franchise or not, but the the body count was too high. I the first Halloween we had the sister uh, killed at the beginning. we have right. a, a man killed off screen for his coverall that Michael mm-hmm. the titular character wears. and we have three teens who are killed and two dogs off screen. and mm-hmm. um, that was an effective, awesome horror story and in this film as much as i love it i think he kills like 16 or 17 people (laughs) yeah
1: it's 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 a a -a slash-a-thon yeah yes
2: and i understand (laughs) that i you know i don't know how they could make a film and keep a low body count because of the type of expectations the audiences have these days but i was disappointed in that um and the uh, so the the doctor um I like the casting for the doctor. Uh, oh, I, I thought he was actually really good. Well, it's not so much his performance. It's that I didn't, I've didn't. i never seen the guy before in my life. And so uh, you really, he was a, um, you weren't sure where he was at. You know, like other actors, you kind of could, like um, Will Patton and Toby Huss. Because I've seen them, I have a kind of impression of what kind of character we might get. But with right. um, Halle Bellinger, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the Hungarian actor who mm-hmm. played Doctor Sartain. He, I didn't know who you know what he was going to be about, and yeah, it was a pretty corny plot twist to sort of further you know and and to um, kill off Will Patton, which. My husband was traumatized by that, and i said oh i kn- I knew he wasn't going to live, <laughs> but yeah I was bummed out by that too yeah i somehow i didn't think he'd you know um i didn't think he'd make it, and he didn't uh, i was I was pretty uh accurate in my guesses as to who would live and who wouldn't, yeah. but the part that i didn't care for um and first of all, both you know uh, Lori, Karen, and Allison, the three um generations in the in the story. And that's you know Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy uh, Matichak. I think mm-hmm. they were so great, and they were so realistic. And when we've been watching all of these horror slashers with female characters that are not realistic at all, to see the grandmother, mother, and daughter, and they're very like different, nuanced characters, was absolutely awesome. And one of the best moments in the film. Was when Judy Greer's character tricks Michael towards the end. Yeah, I yes. that I didn't see that coming, and I loved it. But shortly after that, they finally have Mike Michael like down there in the basement, locked up. They light him on fire, and then they go, "Well, that's good enough," and they walk away. Yes, and there yes. is no way that Laurie Strode <laughs> would have done that. She would have been shooting him in the face. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. We all that's know called, why they did that. It's called sequelitis. Yes. I know, I know. But it was like it was especially after they put so much time and effort into rounding out her character and her mm. what she'd been up to the last, you know, several decades, that sucked. So, and yeah, I understand why they did it, <laughs> but yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I I was like waiting. It was like, okay, you know, so now she's got all the she's got this whole armory and I'm expecting her to pull out that humongous sawed off <laughs> shotgun and just like blowing his yeah, head off yeah. while he's stuck down there. Right. I mean, he's just standing there. It's not like he's moving around trying to get out of the way, but of course, you know, and I was thinking to myself, it's like, and there's the sequel right there. Yeah. You know? um, well, <laughs> but uh, you know, all that said, you know, yes, there, there's some things that I, you know, I can complain about, like, you know, the podcaster guy, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I realize that he's supposedly like, you know, this, this you know, podcaster or, you know, respected podcaster or whatever that, you know, gets these deep stories and whatever. What kind of an idiot goes in there with the actual mask, well, it waves ha- it
2: in his face? Yeah. So corny. Hey, yeah. Michael, hey, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's a great scene, but, in, but, you know, logically, it's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you do that?
2: Yeah, it felt like. You know. that, that whole, <clears throat> the two podcasters was trying to kind of like puff up the, you know, our expectations, right? And it sort of was a padding aspect that I didn't find. It, it actually kind of slowed the film down for me. Uh, I have to say, uh, there were a lot of awesome kills in this. And my favorite, oh, yeah. my favorite was Oscar the the friend zone dude trying to make a move on Allison and um, I I don't actually enjoy watching people getting killed in slashers but but the way they did that was one of the few times I was scared I was like kind of not looking because he was in that backyard and the the lights yeah Yeah. Yeah, that was just and Michael's silent and getting closer and that was that was super great but um, yeah it was. So super enjoyable, and my husband, who doesn't have any sort of connection <laughs> and has never seen the original any of the other Halloween films Wait, he, like, what? he like yeah no he's he's not into slashers i I think that's pretty well established but yeah, uh, yeah but I mean the original one's like really
1: bloodless you know
2: well it's still most- pretty brutal and um it's so funny. My brother and sister in law, when I told them I was rewatching some of the Halloween films, they were like, oh, they're dumb. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> agree to disagree. <laughs> so. Well, I think the first two
1: are fantastic. I think everything else, sad. well, I liked Halloween 3, too, but I mean, I know a lot of people right. hate it, but right. I absolutely love the ludicrousness of it all. I, you know.
2: Oh, I think there's just been so many low rent um, slashers that people. Like, I think that some people just put Halloween in there, but the first, mm-hmm. the first one is a masterful film in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you're not into slashers, then yeah, they're all going to seem the same. I get it.
1: <laughs> so, uh, what's your rating for this one?
2: I'm going to give it a nine. I loved it.
1: Yeah. I, I'm going to give it a nine as well. I, I, with the only thing that keeps me from giving it a 10 is that plot twist mm. and The thing is, is the only reason they put it there was to give uh, a a reason for Michael to be able to find Lori.
2: Right, right.
1: Because otherwise, there's no other way that he would find. Because now the doctor forces the girl to, or whatever, to you know. Go, take leader, yeah, yeah,
2: and I, uh, I but did like the doctor's you know, head squish scene. Although yes, I yes. have to laugh at how spongy skulls are in these films because yeah. they you know you you really need a lot of force to crush a head. But I, I mean, so I so I hear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very foxy esque Yeah, it
2: was just like <laughs> but it was it's it was very satisfying because he's like say something, and Michael's like ah, nope, bitch. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs>
1: uh, but, um, uh, yeah. So I, I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I think that it, the best part about it is that it's, it's, it's very respectful towards the original film. And I think that's something that's been missing, uh, from a lot of the other sequels. So,
2: yeah, they did a great job. I, they really did. They did their homework and I was just impressed. I mean, I could, I could talk about that, this film for like an entire podcast, but we got a lot of material to cover. So <laughs> yeah, yeah th- thank you. This was super fun. I only wish we could have seen it together. That would have been so much fun. I know.
1: Fun. <laughs> I think that would have been absolutely fantastic.
2: Uh,
1: okay. Well, <laughs> it's time to head down the dusty aisles of the abandoned video store for a little segment we like to call the retro re- rewind. Uh What do you do when a creepy steel-masked stranger silently offers you tickets to a film screening in downtown Berlin? You do like the Germans do and grab your best mate and get on down there. There's lots of fun folks to talk to, especially Tony, everyone's favorite pimp, and the coke-sniffing punks who snuck in. When creatures from the movie they're watching start affecting the other patrons, it's time to get the hell out of Dodge if you can. Until then, you're going to have to fight to stay alive and try not to be one of the unfortunates that get turned into demons.
0: (laughs) The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming and they're coming for you. Warning, if you have the courage to see demons sit near an exit, otherwise you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons, and who will not? Demons, with music by Billy Idol, Motley Crue, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. And it could be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals and the cities will be your tombs. Will you survive it? Demons.
1: demons i i i picked this one because i absolutely adore it 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 is such a dumb film and and god bless it for it
2: (laughs) yeah it's so weird because i had seen i had seen pieces of it many times in my life and this was the first time i would watched the whole thing and really yeah and um Now I'm sort of seeing the, you know, Argento and the Mario Bava and, you know, all of those references a little more than I did, you know, as a kid when I would see little clips of it when it was playing on, I don't know, Showtime or Skinamax or whatever at my friend's house. (laughs) Um, You know, it was, um, so I really did like watching it. I mean, it's definitely not a great film, but if you like the the directors I just mentioned, you're going to have to watch this one because they're so much um referential
1: material
2: in it. Yeah, it it's I, with Argento
1: I know he wrote it mm-hmm. or co-wrote it and um, produced and I uh, so the director's Lamberto Bava who's the son of Mario Bava and uh, Mario Bava's <laughs> uh, one of the great directors of Italian horror and, and Lamberto is a little more <laughs> like, kind of like a B or C list yeah. but but this is his best film yes. in my opinion. Yeah. Because I have seen other stuff of his, like uh, Blade in the Dark and uh, <clears throat> uh, Demons 2 and, and some <laughs> other ones. Uh, and uh, it, it's, first of all, it's, it's a gorgeous, a, a beautiful color. Um, there's some wonderful shots. And so you can see where he's got, like, there's influence of his father in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty simple plot. There's, there's not much plot other than... Uh, people get free tickets to a premiere at a recently reopened theater. They go in there. They're trapped in there. There's a movie showing, and demons come out of the movie, or or there's like a demonic mask. Yes, and the cursed somebody mask. gets mask. Yeah. yeah, gets uh, hooker gets cut on it, and um, she turns into a demon. So she starts biting everybody else, and everybody turns into demons, and that's that's your story.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, you, I, I guess I gave it more credit than you did, uh, but um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. He, I feel like I mean, uh, he was the assistant director on tons of his father's projects. Yes. So he certainly had an amazing education in filmmaking by the time he put this one together, which was yeah, kind of the apex of his short um, film career. I think he did a lot of TV, but um, but yeah, you've got like uh, there's several couples that were kind of following. There's the young couple making out in the back. There's the right. the pimp and his two sex worker companions. There's a man <laughs> and his blind daughter who the blind yes. daughter starts uh, having sex with some weird random dude next yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> And there's um, the two young women who impulsively go to see the the show and the two young men who kind of are moving in on them fairly respectfully, uh, especially for 1985. Uh, yeah. And that is my friend's, um, I'm not good at Italian names, but Urbano, is it Urbano Barberini? Yes. So I love him because you know why I love him, right? Like, you know what he's from. It's the uh, yeah. Outlaw of Gore from yes. Mystery Science Theater. He was yes. Cabot, right? In his little loin pocket. Yeah. So yes. so he's the and he ends up being the sole survivor of the whole onslaught. Um Which is kind of out of left field, really. I guess I was expecting it just because um I don't know. Like I thought it was just gonna be him and the the young woman that he's interested in, but it ends up just being well, him. It almost is. Yeah, almost, yeah, at the very, very last <laughs> But, um, yeah, the other thing that's notable-ish is it's really got a lot of body horror in it, more than oh, your b- typical... Yeah, very yeah. cronenberg yes, yes, a lot of, um, I wouldn't say that very convincing effects, but they're very gross, and there's a lot of brightly colored body fluids and pus, and, like, th- <laughs> there's a really great scene with teeth. Um, one of the prostitutes, like, as she transforms, her teeth come like split out of her head when these demon teeth come in and that was great that was really i mean again not entirely convincing but really great so if you like nasty body horror stuff um this film's got a lot of it
1: yeah you can tell i mean a a lot of the budget went into these practical effects Uh, there's the one that bursts out of the other person's back
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: which is just just incredible it's very much uh like the howling kind Mm -hmm. of um, and I, I, just, there's so many great, um, uh, Italian actors that you've seen in other stuff, <laughs> like, uh, the one, the, that one young couple that was making out all the time. I mean, the, the that one, the, 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 girl is Fiore Argento. That's right. one of, uh, our, our Dario's daughters. And, uh, uh, and the, the usher, uh, was Nicoletta Elmi who, I mean, that girl was synonymous with seventies Italian horror being in
2: i mean everything yeah and she was such a i thought she was part of the plot of the the evil plot yeah but she wasn't she just ends up being a victim It was very odd yeah
1: yeah and well i I remember when she was in stuff you know like uh like deep red where she's the the odd little girl and she's like you know she she you know kills like uh, animals with big pins and stuff and uh, she's a, a, a very odd-looking child, but she grew up to be just an absolutely beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, for me, and I'm, I'm just going to say, and I think a lot of people, the best thing about the movie is Bobby Rhodes as Tony, okay, the pimp. I he was pretty love great of him. He's got all the best lines. Now I know his voice is dubbed, and I don't believe it's actually his real voice. Oh, okay,
2: but. I God, I, I I really wish it was, you
1: he, know.
2: He um, – yeah, it's very racially sensitive for the only uh, black characters in the film to be a pimp and a prostitute. Yes. But, um, yeah, he was kind of a tender-hearted pimp. Like, yes. he was pretty sweet to his ladies, and at yeah. one point when one of them is sick, he is, like, running over and, and saying, get out of my way. I'm going to help her. Like, he's a pretty tender-hearted dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I really liked, so if, if you've caught a glimpse of the film at all, you've seen Jaretta Giancarlo, and I guess her name is now Jaretta Jaretta. Um, yeah. She plays Rosemary, and she has the first transformation scene with a boil mm. that, like, bursts on her face. It's really gross. And she <laughs> she's a, one of the main demons throughout, running around, you know, killing people. But she has quite an amazing... Um, Screenwriting, uh, directing, like creative director of a non profit room that helps women write and get screenplays out there. Like she has an amazing career. So that's one to look up if anyone has any interest in this (laughs) film whatsoever. Is that in in Italy or is that here in America? She, it's funny, her name is, looks Italian to me, but it's, um, when I looked her up, it said she was an African American actress, director, screenwriter. So and she's she's worked all over the globe. So I don't know very much about her. I just could tell she's had an awesome career, and so that's kind of cool, right? Because a lot of times you have, you see a you know a pretty young woman in this film, and she gets hacked to pieces, and you go look her up, and that's the only film she's been in. You know, right. but, um, Doretta Doretta has, is still working and doing awesome stuff. So pretty cool.
1: So this movie's got one of those movies where it's like people ask me and I've shown this. I I host a horror movie night on a mm-hmm. monthly basis at, at my house and I showed this to everybody and everybody's like, this is the worst movie you've ever showed us. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, come on. I mean, I've shown way worse stuff than I've shown some slashers that are just garbage. And yes, it's a dumb movie, but it's so much fun when you have a helicopter crashing through the middle of the theater, through the roof. And then our hero rides a motorcycle over the tops of seats with a samurai sword, Mm -hmm. decapitating zombies left and right. That's great stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, I I mean, worst, I I don't see how it could be the worst because there's some really terrible, boring films out there. And I feel like this is not boring. Um We haven't even talked about the punks, right? The four punks who... Oh, the four punks that sneak in, yeah. They're not so much... You said they were sniffing cocaine, but they were... um, (laughs) (laughs) It was beyond sniffing. I was like... I've I've never worried about people doing drugs in films, but I was genuinely worried about the quantities that they were consuming when they were driving. Oh, God. And I love they were listening to Rick Springfield. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Rick Springfield and... So
2: hardcore. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and Billy Idol, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The soundtrack's actually really good.
2: I know it has a lot of uh, big names on it. I was kind of surprised. This is, Motley Crue's in there. Yeah, yeah. it's. Yeah. Uh, I think if you if you like horror, like campy eighties horror at all, you have to watch this film. It's pretty fun. Um, if you don't like horror and body horror, then stay away because it's it's oh, yeah. it's just super gross and ridiculous and yeah
1: it's it's basically 90 minutes of of in your face practical effects of oh how can we make them barf in this scene yeah kind
2: of like uh reminds me a little of dead alive you know it has a lot of practical effects a lot of body fluids not much (laughs) of a plot really um but yeah it was uh i had a good time with it and and my friend urbano i I like watching him he's a cutie uh, no, no one in this film could be described as a good actor, but um, it was, you know, it was yeah. fun. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, you know, and Urbano was also in Argento's opera.
2: Oh yeah, I haven't seen that one.
1: Oh, you should watch that. That's actually his last really great film before he kind of started going downhill. Um, unfortunately, <clears throat> it, it, it's weird. I, I don't. I can't really think of any time in history. There's been a director that I have loved so much whose latter career just drops off the table
2: yeah well it, mean, it is weird when that happens I mean you um, you kind of wonder what what happened right
1: Well, I mean, I realize you know I mean he's not a young man anymore he's in his 70s I think yeah. but uh, holy cow it, it just uh, he basically he made um, um oh uh, trauma he actually filmed it in Minnesota and that was very uh, homogenized. And a lot of people think it's because he shot it in America, he tried to tone it down or something. And after that, everything else just... Oh, I, ca- I kind road.
2: of yeah but it's like I feel like he still has that competency in directing in some way because I really did like that Dracula 3D oh <laughs> like, yeah but I mean it's not a good film and no. <laughs> it's also really creepy that he puts his own daughters in like these sexual ro- like you know roles like oh um, yeah, yeah. He's,
1: he he uh, I actually the one film of his that I actively loathe other than uh Jallo that he did, uh, which I really despise, um, was uh, the Stenholz, uh, Stenholm Syndrome. And I. Mm, yeah. it, it literally has his daughter getting raped like three times in the movie, and it's just. Oppressive, and I, I, I just—it's not inter- thats not entertaining to me. I,
2: you, you feel like if something hasn't already come out about the guy, that probably something will. You know what I mean? As far as his daughters are concerned, because yeah, you know, well, um, ages <laughs> had with some problems. Asia did come yeah, out, yep, recently. Yep. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, anyway.
2: creepy creepy, but um, you know, I mean, he's got some fun stuff out there obviously. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So, what's what's your rating for Demons? Oh god. Okay.
2: Well, for like for a horror film, I'm going to give it an 8 cuz it was just so entertaining and because I liked the special effects. But that said, again, don't watch it unless you like gore <laughs> just or <laughs> it's not even gore, it's just body horror, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm probably. This is. This is actually kind of funny. I'm actually. I'm going to agree with you again and give it an eight because I really enjoyed it. It is just. It's campy. It's gory. It's. It's dumb fun. It's. It's. It's kind of like I would call a party movie. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just ridiculous, and that's okay.
2: That's true because you could have it on. No mm. one. No one needs to be following the plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you look up at the screen, you'll get it. Oh, okay, so and so's dead. You know. So yeah, it is. A, <laughs> that's a party movie for sure.
1: So uh, we've got one more film to share with you and our personal list of our top five favorite horror movies when The Bitter Bastard Nerdcast continues right after this.
0: If you're mighty thirsty for something mighty good, our hot chocolate's just a drink. It's a beverage and a food. Get hot chocolate and see just how good a drink can be. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you. Way down in old Virginia, three hundred years ago, Captain John Smith and Pocahontas shopped their meat and aged it slow. They smoked it and they spiced it too for flavor at its best. Genuine Smithfield barbecue surpasses all the rest. Yes, folks, it's three hundred years of tradition and taste you savor when you ask for a Smithfield barbecue, James River brand, at our refreshment center. In each flavorful morsel of meat, you can smell the hickory, oak, and applewood, and taste the rare herbs and spices required for its cure. Here is truly a fresh new taste from an ancient recipe. Oh, hope for deep down flavor of the Smithfield country kind. Just step by the neighbor, find your taste, and lose your mind. This is a dill pickle, a mighty pretty pickle, especially when he joins you at the show. We have lots of pretty pickles waiting for you at the refreshment center, They're plump, tender, mouth-watering. Wouldn't one taste good right now?
1: And we're back. Um, Our final film for today is a cautionary tale of love, hate, whimsy, and scalpels to the face. Twenty years ago, young Susan Jeremy rejects a valentine from potential suitor Harold only to have him horribly but hilariously murder her current boyfriend on a hat rack. Years later, astrophysicist Susan visits the Stalag 13 Memorial Hospital for her yearly physical, unaware that Harold has returned to hyperventilate and butcher all the admittedly limited staff as he cuts a path to their inevitable showdown. It's E.R. as directed by the illegitimate offspring of David Lynch and Herschel Gordon-Lewis. And the only way to make sense of the plot is to double-check that (laughs) X-ray. Well,
0: I'm afraid we're going to have to keep you here for a while. Why? Some discrepancies in the tests. But... We'll have to keep you under observation for a few days. Is it serious? It's nothing. You can tell me the truth. Is it serious? Yeah. It might be. are all rancid, and her blood is as malignant as slime. Would you just shut up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I love this movie so much. Oh, it really? Is, okay. Oh, my God. It is, it, it's, <laughs> I, I, again, I am not going to, there's no pretensions that, that this is a good film.
2: Right.
1: It is a canon release, it, you know, it's a golden Globus. It, it stars Bobby ben, Barbie Benton, who is one of the worst actresses ever and it it is absolutely pointless and ridiculous and on and there's nothing about it that's realistic in any way and yet i i adore it it is just it's got this serial killer who goes around in um surgical garb and his eyes are constantly bugging out of his head and he's always (gasps) like (laughs) The super heavy breathing, and it, you got to give him points for enthusiasm. I mean, he's, uh, nothing is just like a quick throat slash. It's, yeah. <laughs> he really he's really just
2: like having the time up, of his life, know? yeah.
1: And um, you know, I, I made fun of uh, how dumb her character is by calling her an astrophysicist, but I, I mean, come on, she she's such a dope in this movie, and she's got this you know deer in the headlights look throughout. Um, she goes in there for a, uh, for her a physical, for her, with her results and everything. Here, get her test results. And, the hospital basically takes her prisoner. Yeah. And they're not even people who have anything to do with the murder. They just, Hold her prisoner. Now, in real life, you can walk up and get up and walk out of any hospital at any time. Yeah, that was You have the right to check yourself
2: out, even if it's against doctor's orders. Yeah, and, you know, watching her smoke in the hospital repeatedly cracks me up because, you know, people younger than me probably will not have any memory of of smoking indoors, let alone in a hospital. But, yeah, so so it's weird um, is she's, she's a single mom with a new boyfriend named Jack yes. and Jack drops mm-hmm. her off and he literally pulls up to the front of the hospital and parks his car like a douche right in front yeah. and <laughs> she's in there for hours like you say as the doctors and nurses are like you can't leave and he doesn't he just falls asleep there apparently yeah, he's in the for car hours. for like yeah. eight hours and so the film is kind of trying to hint that that maybe it's the ex-husband because he's being all menacing and he has like a switchblade or something i i can't remember yeah how. i watched this like three weeks ago um and then there's another doctor that they're trying to hint is is the killer because he's just so hostile to her um, oh yeah i don't remember the doctor's name but there's a ridiculous Is Saxon him, or is that the bald guy that gets axed? I I thought that was him, and like the bald guy was uh, Doctor Beam. Yeah, okay, I could I mixed them up, but the the hostile doctor at one point has her get completely naked except for her underwear, and he's like watching her. He's watching her undress behind a screen. She comes out topless, no gown or anything. Or I think she takes the gown off, and he's taking her blood pressure with her (laughs) sitting there topless it's the stupidest (laughs) you know what honestly like i felt like i felt like whoever made this has weird um sexual medical like uh fetishes like because even (laughs) though there's no sex in the film there's a lot of implied creepy sexy like medical stuff it's it's pretty gross (laughs) Like, so, so now I know that's what you're into, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but like that scene is just, is hysterical. Cause like you said, she's fully nude except for her underwear right? and she's laying there and he's like doing, like, what is he doing? He's, uh, like, he's, he's that's what going I mean. like, he goes and he puts his hand on her thigh. And he goes, tap, tap. And he goes, yeah. moves up like tap,
2: tap. And you're like, what, what are you doing right. exactly? What does this <laughs> have to do with an X-ray? <laughs> right, nothing. That's what I mean. That scene was pretty long, and I felt like that was somebody's somebody's fantasy. And I'm like, listen, buddy, like that's something to keep to yourself. We don't need to see it. But um, yeah, and I love when they kill off because they do end up killing just about everyone but her, including yeah. the you know the doctors, and um, they the kill the the boyfriend. And that scene was so funny because the killer decides to bring her a cake box with the boyfriend's head uh, in the box yes. and they lift the lid. She lifts the lid and he, he, he blinks. Yes, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I was like, do you want to try that take again or no? Okay. No, <laughs> like, moving on. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cut it. Print
2: blinking.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Shit. She's got great hair though. Her hair is on oh, point in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: She's got that huge eight early eighties hair. Yeah. Um, and, uh, But the thing is, is, like, everybody in this hospital is hostile. Yes. The nurses are, like, hired thugs who, like, grab her and drag her down the hall and, like, restrain her. Um, there's, uh, There's, like, this room with these bizarre old people. Yeah. That, like, talk about how her skin is
2: rotting and fla-
1: falling off her skin. And by the way, is one of those those old ladies, is that a dude in drag? I
2: think so. I, I don't okay, even good. know. Okay, good. It's not I, just me. No, I don't even know what they were saying with that. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm going to move forward. Yeah. I don't remember. Do the old uh, ladies get killed or not? No, I, okay, no. that's good. No, that's neither good. does the drunk guy. Oh, that guy. He keeps stagger like what's he doing? What's he doing there at the hospital? He keeps like flying into the hallway, staggering, grabbing her, you know. Yeah, where are you getting all the booze? And where is that weird room that like he wa like what the janitor walks through and it's this huge floor that is just littered with like mannequins and
1: instruments
2: and it's like that was that well they make it
1: sound like okay this one floor is off limits because they're fumigating or something. Uh, you have... see, like you see the guys in the elevator that, like, for, for this stu- stupid cheap scare, where they're all wearing like uh, gas masks, right? When the elevator door <laughs> opens or whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, and that's just ridiculous. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I'm actually I'm looking it up, and yes, that one woman, Mrs. Perry, is played by Jonathan Moore.
2: Oh, good job, Jonathan. <laughs> Yeah, I was <laughs> like, it's, I, I kept looking, it's like, is this a python sketch? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I
1: why! You know, okay. <laughs> uh, there's only, for me, there's like one scene in the entire movie that, that to me is genuinely creepy. And I don't know if you'll, if you, if you guess it or whatever, but it's the one where like the one nurse is going down the hall and she yeah, turns yeah. around and like he's coming down with this huge plastic sheet. Yeah, that was cool. That was a good that was a
2: scary scene for sure.
1: I mean, it's just it, it's just very ominous and kind of creepy and and almost it's like the one scene in the movie where you go, "Oh, it almost looks kind of arty."
2: Yeah, it was uh because it's, it's so and uh, yeah, and it's so unsettling and of course she just runs straight down the hall instead of yes. you know diving into a side room, <clears throat> but um yeah, no, that's uh, it wasn't scary. Um No. It was, you know, there was a lot of scenes where he would grab a woman and she'd go off screen, you'd see the knife go up and then they would just throw blood on him. Right. <laughs> like from off screen, yeah. you know? So yeah, there's
1: really not a lot of actual, uh, you know, violence that you see. Most of it is, is pretty, uh, tame. I you know, even though, I mean, yeah, it's rated R. I think it's more rated R for her, f- her full nudity really than anything else. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it, it is such a strange film because, like I said, with the exception of the killer, uh, every everybody in that that hospital is horribly hostile
2: yeah. and, and and mean, and they hold her prisoner. And you are just like, what, what is this? No, I, th- I think what we're seeing here is someone's like someone's fetish, actually. So, um, <laughs> and again, you know, if if that's your thing, you are going to like the film. But um, yeah, it was also poorly lit. You know, it just um, yeah, it was pretty uh, pr- not my favorite. <laughs>
1: Well, since it was it was both written and directed by uh, Boaz Davidson, I, I I think we know who to blame on that. Oh, to, Okay,
2: there we go. All right, the fetish
1: front. Right. No kink um, shaming,
2: Boaz, but <coughs> still. <laughs> um. So, uh, w- what, what would you give it? I'm I'm gonna give it a five. I just it was a little too boring for me, but it was still like you say, like kind of that junk food, like slasher junk food. So I did I did enjoy um, a lot about it.
1: Yeah, i I'd give it a seven, not because I think it's a good film by any stretch, but for me, it's just, it's bizarrely watchable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, bec- and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's just, everything about it is so off-kilter and strange. And, you know, it, it, and it takes a lot of guts to give a leading role to Barbie Benton, <laughs> who is not an actress, and, you know, and asking her to emote, and and she has that same facial expression throughout regardless of how she's being
2: threatened uh, i didn't think i didn't think she was that bad i i thought that doctor was worse uh he like he was he was terrible to watch are you talking about the uh the mean one the one with hair yeah oh doctor sax he, Dr. Saxon, yeah, he yeah. was so wooden you know
1: <clears throat> uh, well yeah i mean he was kind of like just stereotypical you know like bad guy he kind of came off to me like um like a uh, a seventies villain yeah. from like a TV movie or something. Yes. Yeah, yes. But um, but yeah, I you know I, I enjoy it. I think it's it, it's just it's a goofy you know thing to watch. I mean, it, we talk about a lot of trash movies on here, and I think this definitely fits into that category. Yes. And <laughs> I guess it just it just depends on your um your your uh, your standard. Coloration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So um one of the things we decided to do for this uh, Halloween episode is to come up with our top five favorite horror movies of all time and um, I, I thought what we would do is start with five and alternate and go back and forth a little bit and <clears throat> um, now bear in mind this is not we're not saying these are the greatest horror films of all time. we're saying these are the ones that you know that for us are our personal favorites. So, I mean, everybody's list is going to be different. Um, there's a lot of people who would just go, like, everything would be a Friday the 13th movie or something, and everything would be, um, you know, anything from Hammer or whatever. It's like, I, I kind of, with my list, I tried to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and some of mine, people who know me will go, yeah, big surprise, <laughs> big surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I did kind of try and mix it up. Because it's very hard to narrow things down to a five. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was hard. Uh, I do have some honorable mentions that I'll probably just run up.
2: Me, too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, good. Excellent.
1: Good. I'm not the only nerd who cheated. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, go ahead. Your number five, please.
2: Okay. So, these are not in order because this is an impossible (laughs) assignment. Um, So, I'm going to start with Silence of the Lambs from 1991, Ah. directed by Jonathan Demme. And... Um, as I was making this list, you know, I realized this is not, like you say, the best horror films, you know. I'm not even enough of a film historian to, to do that kind of a list. But I, this film came out when I was, like, 14. And so I'm, I'm starting, like, my sort of journey about, like, sexuality. And this film has that, some sexual content that I was, like, confused about. I got snuck into the theater from a friend and um, I think it's just one of those films that I saw it at this certain time in my life and it's been hugely influential. Obviously, um, like, Jodie Foster is great. Sir Anthony Hopkins, this might have been one of the first things I ever saw him in and he was great. Yeah. Uh, although I think he does a lot of the same roles, you know, um, really. But this is the first time I saw him. And uh, Ted Levine as James Gum is just iconic. Like, I just loved him and I... <clears throat> my friends and I would quote <laughs> would quote him all the time. Yeah, and so I used to ignore my friends with an imitation of Yeah,
1: was she like a big fat person? She's a
2: great big fat person. Yeah, we did yeah. that one too. Um, <laughs> so you know, it was it was it was sexy. It was scary. Um, I can't say that I've liked uh, much other Hannibal Lecter stuff, um, with the exception of Manhunter. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, this was. For me, this was a super, like, influential, awesome horror film uh, um, in my my youth. So that's my number five.
1: And I believe it'll be the only one on our list that's ever won Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Actor. Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, it did really well, didn't
1: it? Yeah, it's actually, I I think it is the only horror movie to sweep all the top categories and probably the only one, I think, yeah, the only one that's ever won Best Picture. Um, Until that time, the only other Oscar winner... For a horror film, had been uh, Frederick March with Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde way back in you know, 1932.
2: But well, it just goes to show you how iconic Silence of the Lambs was at the time because we've had so many imitators since then. Um, yeah. but, but for its time, it was it was bringing a little bit more gloss to like horror fair. I think so. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, my number five. Uh, because I tried to kind of mix eras a little bit, uh, is I Walked with a Zombie from
2: 1943.
1: Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, directed by the great Jacques Tourneur, uh, produced by Val Lewton, of course, for RKO. Um, I absolutely... I find this movie to be um, one of the... Okay, people who know me know there's two kinds of horror movies I like. I like artistic horror films, and then I like just obnoxious (laughs) obnoxious gore films, right? And this is obviously, this obviously falls more into the artistic. um, And it's, it's, the thing that always throws people off is how it's, it uses Jane Eyre as a blueprint for the story structure. And with the two brothers fighting over the girl and, uh, and it, but, for me, that's secondary to everything else. This is one of the most beautiful horror films I've ever seen. The, the black and white uh, photography in it, the set design—it um, is just—it's it's lyrical, it's poetic, it's haunting. Um, it it uh, and also it gives you a little bit of an insight into Haitian culture of, at the time, which you know, Hollywood in the nineteen forties, you're not going to get you know real in depth with other cultures, but it was rare to get anything set in that area and have it be fairly respectful. Right. And because uh, the, the natives in the film are actually, you know, you don't get a lot of condescending attitude towards them and the, the way they do uh, the ending is just, is beautiful. Uh, there's the, the most famous sequence of course, is when uh, Francis D as the nurse, <clears throat> Uh, takes her patient uh, through the the the, cor- the sugar cane fields uh, to meet the the zombie and take her to a ceremony to see if they can cure her. Um, uh, you know her condition that she's in, and it is it, it, it. There's almost no music in it in that sequence. It's all you hear is drums and it, and the sound of the wind and the rustling of of the sugar cane, and it, it is absolutely beautiful and it's one of those ones that it hasn't been restored yet for blu-ray which is a shame um i have the val luton set that warner brothers put out but they're not none of them are restored the only one that i ones that i've seen get restored really are cat people and curse of the cat people which is fine and they're both good films but i I really think the other ones need some love too
2: right and uh so that's my number five awesome that's a that's a great choice Oh, so I guess I'm at number four now, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, Um, (laughs) one of these you're going to mock me for, so I'm not ready. I'm not brave enough yet. Um, (laughs) I've got uh, Aliens from 1986, which is kind of kind of a cheater because honestly, it's not. It's more of an action film than a horror film, but um, definitely has tons of horror elements and. As much as I love the first Alien movie, I've over the years I've come to like Aliens even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe uh, Sigourney Weaver, that's the first woman to win a Best Actress for an action role. Um, well, she was nominated, but she didn't win. Oh, she didn't win. Okay. So she but, was nominated. Yeah, it was great to see her get nominated, though. And, you know, I watched the... I actually like the special edition more. Um, it's got 17 or 18 more minutes and... I only saw the special edition for the first time fairly recently, a few years ago, Mm -hmm. but um, I I did like what they, what they did add. But, um, you know, even today it holds up so well as a, as an action film Um, it kind of sheds light on how disappointing a lot of um, women's roles are in, in film um, action films today, because it's just, it's just rock solid. And we've got, a great cast like there's almost nobody who I don't love seeing on screen like everyone Um, Paul Paul Reiser is a great uh, scummy bad guy oh yes you've got a great crew of Marines including Michael Byne and Jeanette Goldstein and and of course Bill Paxton I mean even people who've never seen this film are familiar with some of the quotes from from his character yeah Uh, and Lance Hendrickson whom I have a huge crush on and I, I just love him um, so I, I just, I just love this film and, um, I, it's one of the, like all of the films I'm listing today are, are movies that I could put on over and over and watch over and over again. So that's kind of what I did for my favorites. It's not like the most, the best film I've ever seen. It's more like, what's the comfort film that I just love and put on, you know, while I'm sewing or, or whatever. So that's got, that's my number four.
1: Well, <clears throat> you just happened to name like one of my favorite movies of all time so oh, i yeah. i i love this film i saw it in the theater 15 times when it came out uh so yes i can sit there and i can actually do all the dialogue without the sound on um, <laughs> i i love aliens it it uh it was one of the first action movies that i saw that really just i i Got me pumped up, and I, I, I loved it. And you know, as for it being horror or not, I played it on my horror movie night. So there, there, there you, go. you go. Yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so my number four, uh, moving up a little bit in time, uh, 1964's uh, Blood and Black Lace by mm. uh, Mario Bava. Um. First of all, if you ever get to watch this film, you have to watch the restored Blu-ray uh, from Arrow. It is, or uh, Yeah, it, it is absolutely, I mean, stunning to look at. The, the, the use of color, uh, light and shadow in this, it is just amazing. The, the color palette that Mario Bava was able to use. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a book, and, and I forgot the name. Uh, oh, uh, John Alton wrote a book called Painting with Light that was all about black and white cinematography. And even though this movie is in color... I think painting with light also applies to this because the the use of different colored gels for the different uh, the lighting and these different scenes. There's a scene that takes place in this antique store where this one girl is being stalked in there, and there's a like a big purple light that keeps flashing on and off, and then there's a green light, and it's just and these and it's just so stark and and amazing. And also, let's you know not forget this film is the blueprint for all Jellos that followed. Um, yeah, is it considered
2: to be the first, or?
1: Well, it, it's considered to be the first full-flowered Jalo. Okay. Uh, Bava also made a film uh, before this, a black and white one, called The Girl Who Knew Too Much. And that's kind of an embryonic Jalo, but it's got a lot more humor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was released <laughs> in the U.S. as uh, the evil eye. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this film, it's got Cameron Mitchell in it. <laughs> And I, I, love Cameron Mitchell, regardless of whether the movies are good or bad. I always like yeah. Cameron. Yeah. And cause he's one of those actors, you know, character actors who was in a lot of yes, bad films, yeah. but he always gave like a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. He was just in a lot of films in general. Yeah.
1: yeah. He was a, he was what you call a working actor. Yes. He was always doing something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, plus, you know, a lot of beautiful women cause it takes place in a modeling agency. Uh, you know, someone's killing the, these models and, um, I, I just I think it's a, a wonderful film, and it's the pacing of it. It, it just moves, 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 um, and it's it, it really did lay the groundwork for all the jollos that followed, and, and to a lesser extent, you know, like slasher films of the eighties as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and I just love this film.
2: Awesome, cool yeah as you know i'm not a big jello fan but i do like to ch- cherry pick the good ones and so i'll definitely i'm, I'm going to have to watch this one because i've never seen it and i don't want to look at any stills from it i want to see it like you say like first time all the way through cool <laughs> okay this is the one you're gonna mock me for <laughs> <laughs> this is the one where you're gonna lose listeners i loved um bram stoker's dracula from 1992 so, again, we're you're really getting a window into, like, a specific time of my life, I think. Um, I did see this one in the theater. I am such a, a freakish fan of, of Bram Stoker's novel, and it's amazing how few um, films even try to track the novel, and yeah. this is one of the few that does, and I think that is half the reason I loved it, because they it had the whole overwrought... Um, you know, wax cylinder recordings and letters and journal, like that kind of a um, story structure. And also the costumes in this. Um, they spent more on the costumes than the sets. Uh, they had lots of practical effects. And it is just, in my opinion, a, an extremely watchable, histrionic like version of Dracula, and I, I love it. I stand for it big time
1: as soon as you said it I was like it's because of the costumes
2: <laughs> it's not though it's everything I just I just loved it and you know people love to joke about how much Keanu Reeves uh, sucks in this but it's He's like pretty devil, yeah. I feel like there's no performance in this that's great it's like it's almost like a corny like stage play or something I mean it's Gary, very operatic yes yes um, and I think it's going to be increasingly remembered in a fond light um but i enjoyed it in the theater and gary oldman i I guess i also like if we're talking about count dracula (laughs) i really like the sexy slash repulsive version of dracula right yeah Mm because like we have we often have the just the sexy dracula we're seeing a lot of those lately right like luke evans and i don't know we're just seeing these like sexy draculas which i find boring and of course the like Nosferatu repulsive Dracula is out there but I liked Gary Oldman because he was both and that was really compelling for me again I'm like when this comes out I must have been like 16 so you know this was pretty pretty sexy exciting stuff for me and um and again it's one of those it's like my favorite one to put on while I'm working like in the background and I I know all of the dialogue. <laughs> so um yeah, I'm a, am a big fan and the costumes, yeah, I can't say enough about how awesome those yeah. are.
1: Well, uh, first of all, um for as far as the costumes go, uh I will let you know that um about half an hour from here, uh a place I've gone for my birthday my birthday dinner for the last couple of years, uh uh, Francis Coppola has a, uh, a a big vineyard up uh, up in Geyserville, and they have a restaurant called Rustic. And in there, it has props and stuff from all of these movies that Coppola has made, and they have a bunch of the
2: costumes from
1: Dracula in there. Oh, that you would probably go nuts. About. I
2: would, and you know, I've never heard anyone talk about the designer Iyoko um, Ishioka. I think I'm not yes. with the names, but I mean, she did amazing work, and. Mm-hmm. um that like I've I've sewn a few years ago I made a um like a women's blazer with the the kind of like creepy red like muscle looking armor like effect I used paint and thread and you know, of the armor that he wears at the beginning when he's out there, you know, killing Christians or whatever. Yeah, they
1: have that armor there.
2: Oh, yeah, of course I would love to see that. Um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully the restaurant has some vegan offerings there. So, uh,
1: I, I believe they do, yes.
2: Oh, awesome, awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah, and also, just to surprise you, I have that poster framed uh, in my office.
2: Oh, cool, cool, mm-hmm. yeah. I yeah. saw that in
1: the theater as well.
2: And, like, I, I have to say, it also spawned, um, I think it was one of the bigger influences besides hammer for uh dracula dead and loving it which is such such a silly yeah so much fun especially the big like butt hair that he's wearing the big like like that was so great and comical at the same time (laughs) like loved it
1: uh so okay (laughs) so that was your number three right okay uh so my number three uh going back in time again uh to 1932 uh uh, is Vampire Directed by Carl Dreyer, oh, yeah. the great Dutch director. Um, now, I, I saw this. Uh, our, our local uh, college, uh, Sonoma State University, had this uh, a special showing of this uh, about 20 years ago. And I dragged my friend with me. He was bored to death. Oh, right. He hated it. And it, it is not for modern audiences with short attention span. It is, you know, it's a little over an hour. I think it's like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, it is not fast-paced by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I Whenever I refer to it, I refer to it as a tone poem on film. It's it's slow-paced, but it is, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's haunting. There are some of the creepiest moments in cinema... Um, classic iconic imagery that a lot of people don't know are from this movie and um it, it definitely a different look at at uh, what's considered the classical vampire and um i believe it's from the how what is it there's like a, a uh uh book uh, through a glass darkly okay um and it is the the guy who's the lead actor in it was actually not an actor. He was a uh, a prince from Salzburg who uh, put the money up for Dreyer to make the movie, and he's like, "Oh, okay, well, you're the star now, <laughs> right?" Right. <laughs> and and he's kind of a blank slate in the film. He doesn't have much emotion or anything like that. But he's really more of an audience surrogate you know, to observe what's going on, you know, he arrives in a village, a small village, and there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people missing, and, um, there's a vampire, is an elderly woman, uh, who, you know, obviously is picking off the populace, and, and her, she has sidekicks, one of which is this, this, uh, this doctor who kind of looks like Einstein with this, this hat, and he's, he's very evil, uh, and it is just, it, it's just, it's different if you have a tolerance for old film, because old film does have a pace all its own. Uh, they're not lightning, you know, paced as far as editing goes, like, you know, the MTV generation, you know, is used to. Um, but if you're looking for something, you know, offbeat and different, this is the film to see.
2: Well, it sounds like it would be a good one for my, you know, every Halloween we project a film in our huge front window. We use Oh, our, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I did Forbidden Planet quiet. this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's got, so did you, do you have a restoration of it or what?
1: what I do. the I have the Criterion Blu-ray, uh-huh. which, which is, not only is it just beautiful and meticulously done, but it also comes with a book with the screenplay in it. And um, it's a beautiful box set. Um, and it's got some other nice extras like, a um, interview, uh, I believe an interview with, the uh, Dreher before he passed away. Cause he only made, I believe only one more film after this, oh, uh, wow. cause it was a huge bomb it, it, people hated it. Oh, it's funny. It first came out because, it, you know, like he was an art director and he was like, oh, you're making a movie about vampires. Uh, you know, that's crap. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's if you're gonna watch it, I recommend you get that because it, it is they've done a beautiful job on it. The entire thing he shot through like a gauze uh, gauze covered lens, so it's got a very uh, dreamy look to it, which fits the film.
2: And uh, yeah, I can't really say enough about it. That's uh, totally tangential, but that um, that chilling adventures of Sabrina has a weird effect for the filming where it's blurry like that. Which mm-hmm. is kind of rare to see, um, you know. Today, uh, it's kind of uh, odd—an odd choice. But um, yeah, that that looks like a that looks like a good one. I've, I haven't even heard of that one. So, um, really, yeah, um, I feel like I've seen like a poster, but that's just not ringing a bell. I. I'm not an older, like golden age Hollywood <clears throat> person. Like you're, you've got some old films in this list today, so it's very cool. Well, I tried
1: to spread it out a little bit. Um, uh, do you have a Blu-ray player?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: you do. Okay, yeah. I recommend same thing with Blood and Black Lace. You're getting, that's you need to see that on high dev.
2: Cool. Well, you know, I've mentioned. I mean, I find anything kind of silent or early um, talkies. You know they are pretty slow they're 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 a little painful but man my family they just can't tolerate those at all i'll, I'll be watching <laughs> that by myself i'll tell you probably yeah <laughs>
1: but yeah honestly it, it is it's such a quiet film it's not a silent film but it's a very quiet film uh-huh. and now it'd actually be perfect to project uh, at halloween yeah. because it, it is uh just the imagery I in was it alone gonna say, is, yeah, it's, it's visual great.
2: cool okay so we're down to number four right
1: Um, Uh, You're number two, I mean. Oh,
2: number two, sorry. We're going reverse order. (laughs) Reverse order. So I've got The Thing from 1982 by John Carpenter. I Again, this is one that I can just have on and listening to. And, of course, there's a few scenes where I absolutely have to watch. Um, You know, we were talking about, we've talked about when someone reimagines a story and how, uh, people can get offended, right? If you if you take the premise of an original story or original movie and you do something totally different, and apparently that was um, not only that John Carpenter had done something so different from the original thing from Another Planet slash Who Goes There, nineteen thirty eight short story, but apparently the thing came out like right about the time that E. T. did. Mm-hmm. And audiences were responding very favorably to E.T. You know, I was too young to remember this. But um, but the thing, of course, is, like, <laughs> the anti-E.T., you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I absolutely love this movie. Um, like, all of it. I think... I love the practical effects. I, oh yeah. I, Robo
1: teen, just a genius.
2: Yes. And I really like the way the men, the relationships, the men have in this story. I feel like, um, the writing is, is excellent. I have a huge crush on full bearded Kurt Russell. Uh, he's just gor- <laughs> gorgeous. I mean, he's totally not a compelling person in the film, but he's, he's handsome. And, um, this was the film that two years ago for Halloween I put on our screen. Um, and, um, and oh, I, I, nice. I, yeah, I was like about halfway through the night, I was watching how many little, little children were walking past. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, next year I got to tone this shit down. <laughs> so, yes. so this year I did uh, Paranorman and, um, <laughs> uh, forbidden planet. So I, I, um, but yeah, I, I love the thing. Um, and I, I haven't seen the remake. I'm going to see it. So, um, but yeah. I just haven't got around to it, but uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I I love the thing. I, I I showed it on my horror movie night, and I, uh, the beginning of the movie, all anybody kept doing was like, "Oh, why are they shooting that dog? Oh, right, going after the dog," and I was like,
2: "Just just wait and just watch. Is something with the dog? Okay." You know what's funny <laughs> is uh, when Phoenix, my mm. oldest kid, was just a couple years, like three or something he came into the room when i was watching this and that was just the beginning where the dog is running uh mm-hmm. you know and and he said this is a scary movie um so just from that atmosphere and that score um ennio morricone's score mm-hmm. uh my my young child was like this is a scary movie and what's funny is that Phoenix has watched this with me many times. This is one of our favorite films to watch together. I don't, I don't know what age I let him finally watch it. Probably too young. But um, <laughs> this is, like, we love this film. This is, like, one that we bond over big time.
1: Yeah, I I, I love that. It's, it's a rare example, in my opinion, of a remake that surpasses the original. Um, yeah. And it's a different take. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the original. But I find the original to be kind of sluggish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this one, not only Kurt Russell, but, I mean, it's got a great cast, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it Wilford Brimley's in it, you know. I mean, it's just um, a lot of fun. I really, I really like it. I think it's a, a really good choice. And, you know, my number two is also a John Carpenter. And it, it's a film... <sighs> when people talk about John Carpenter, this one always seems to get dismissed. And... Um, it it kind of bugs me because I really think it's a masterful example of what you can do with a low budget and make it look rich and expensive, and that's the fog from 1980.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I have watched this movie. I mean, I can't even count how many times, over and over and over again. And it's and ever since they came out with the restored uh, the Blu-ray of it. It it it's a completely new experience now because before I always saw it like on a pan and scan, you know, on TV or on a VHS or something. And there's now there's stuff that you could never see on right. uh, you know before, and you know it, it's all filmed near me. It's filmed you know um, like Inverness Point, Rays, Bodega Bay, um, all those areas out there that are about half an hour from me. And so I can always see stuff like, oh, I know that you know, right. and I've been to that lighthouse a million times. And uh, <clears throat> it's got a great cast, you know. whether you know you've got John Houseman at the beginning of it. You know, you, obviously you got Jamie Lee Curtis, you got Tom Atkins, you've got Hal Holbrook, uh, you know, Janet Leigh, um, Nancy Loomis. Uh, it, it's got so many people in it that you go, oh, I know them, yeah, and. And unlike the abomination remake that was done, this actually has real people in it—you it, know, adults. There's, right. people, you know, most of the characters. There's some younger people, but most of them are like middle aged, you know.
2: Yeah, and I just rewatched this uh, again. You know, I watch it probably about once a year, and it almost made mm-hmm. my list tonight because I feel like it's such a perfect horror film. It's perfectly paced. It's, yes, it's not, you know. Uh, the the stakes aren't, like, end of the world, like, zombie outbreak. It's, like... Right. Um, it's got a low a low body count, which, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I, I tend to favor that because I feel like it's a scarier film. You know, at some point you tune out when the eighth person has had their head cut off. Um, right. Uh, it's... It's funny because I I believe they they really had to chop the film up and re edit and like they they had to dick around with it a lot before we got the version that we've got right. and it, it's and to mm-hmm. me it's it holds together so well. I also really love the relationship between Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Tom Atkins. The mm-hmm. way that was done is was it felt very realistic and very sweet and it wasn't like a. Side plot romance, um, it, like a lot of horror films have. I don't know. I yeah. just, I just absolutely love it. It's, it's scary. Like the violence in it, it will, I'm, I'm going off. It's your film. Sorry. But yes, I love this <laughs> film as well. Like, I love well, it.
1: Well, to me, the real star of the movie is Dean Cundy's cinematography. It mm. is, uh, it, it takes an already beautiful area and makes it both gorgeous and mysterious and menacing and, um, uh, th- you know the score by John Carpenter is 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 uh, yeah. you know up to his usual standards. Uh, it's very intense, and uh, it's got some great creepy you know moments. The uh, the essentially zombies of the film are, are very beautifully realized. You you barely see them. Right, they're always shown in shadow or silhouette. Um, and they're just there's just something creepy and relentless about them that they're 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 going to keep coming but they're also polite enough to knock first.
2: <laughs> right, right. Only if you, you want know. us to come in. Yeah, they did yeah. a great job like chopping up several different interiors and different locations and making it seem like a real place. Yeah. You know, like the church is somewhere completely different, you know, than the lighthouse and the interiors of the bar and that kind of thing. Now, and let's let's
1: not forget I mean, you know, Adrian Barbeau she practically plays the entire film by herself. Yeah. On uh, a, you know, but basically her whole role is playing to a microphone.
2: Yeah. Well, you and can, she's great. Yeah. I think they were married at the time. Or, yes. Yeah. You can tell that he just uh, loves her. You know, the camera is very, just lingers over her. She's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, the smooth jazz was not super fun to listen to. But oh, I loved it, it. It's funny because, uh, apparently they just didn't have the budget to, um, get, yes. you know, different licensing. So that would have made it totally a different film if he would have had the original, uh, you know, whatever, whatever soundtrack he envisioned. So, yeah.
1: Well, I'll have, you know, that I downloaded the, in, uh, somebody took the, all the songs and all of her voiceovers and put them in like, like a 45 minute playlist. Oh. And it's, fantastic and it's got a little bit of like a you can hear like the sound of waves and stuff it's it's so great and it's on my ipod um but yeah i i I love this film it's so briskly paced and it's one of the few horror movies my mother's actually watched with me several times
2: oh cool Cool. (laughs) no it's it's definitely one that uh i love as well and um yeah it's weird that it wasn't it wasn't that like it commercially i think it did well but critics weren't into it but i i just think it's it's an excellent film.
1: So we are now uh, down to your number one.
2: My number one is one we've talked about before on a different podcast, I think, and that would be 1987's neo-noir Western uh, navel-gazing vampire film, Near Dark, from 1987. <laughs> Absolutely oh, yeah. love it. Yes. Um, uh, weirdly underrated, like a film a lot of people don't know or talk about, but I, I just I love it.
1: And with Lance Henriksen and yes. Goldstein and Bill Paxton, Once Paxson. again,
2: yes, they made my list again. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's funny because, like, I don't think they ever say the word vampire in the film. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind mm-hmm. of the, it's the dirty, I think it's the Western. You know how much I like Westerns and how much I mm-hmm. like contemporary dark Westerns. And I think that's the flavor that kind of puts it over into just excellent uh, territory. And, um yeah, especially those three, Bill Bill Paxton, Lance Hendrickson, and Jeanette Goldstein uh, as the, you know, three out of the four um, vampire, main vampires. Um, they're great in it. They're they're creepy, they're sexy, they're dirty, and um, there's that whole nomadic aspect, which, um, you know, when, anytime you had a vampire movie you've got that problem of bodies, right? Like how many people can you really get away with killing, right? Before yeah. people notice, you know? Um, but I, I love the film, and now I can't remember who does the soundtrack. It's not, it's not Tangerine Dream, or maybe it is, but um, it's just such an iconic film, and I, I want to hope that it's influencing more uh, filmmakers so we'll see more films like it, because it kind of has its own thing going on, and I, I just love it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that, like, when you when people talk about horror movies from the 80s, it, it's one of those ones that just seems to kind of, like, uh, get lost in the shuffle and people don't talk about. But it mm-hmm. really is a fantastic film.
2: Yeah, and um, every single second that Bill Paxton is on screen, I am just loving it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's he, <the laughs> so shit,
1: shit kicker uh, vampire, yeah. Yeah,
2: and the, there's a scene right in the middle at a bar that is... It's, I just mm-hmm. feel like you could have a film class on that scene. It's so well done and so <coughs> scary and and has a great um, – these events are taking place as a series of songs plays on the jukebox. And it's just such a great scene. And, um, yeah, absolutely love this one. So
1: <laughs> when you said earlier that there was a film that I was going to make fun of you for, I swear to God I thought you were talking about The Lost Boys.
2: Yeah, you know, Lost Boys is fun and like, uh, but I don't, it's weird. I've seen it so many times and I just showed it to my oldest child for the first time like last month. <clears throat> but I don't have it as a favorite. Um, probably because, I don't know, I just... um because I could only have five on the list. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I, I, I actually love Lost Boys. It's so 80s.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's brutally 80s. <laughs> um, and, you know, let's be honest. I, I know I saw your thing on Facebook. It's all about the, the shirtless, muscular sax player. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's right. I mean, and he's really
1: playing the shit out of that
2: sax player. Oh, I can't remember. Tim Capello. And I believe he was, um, he's I an actual, no, he's a real sax player. He was Tina Turner's sax player. That's bad. And stuff. you can see scenes of him uh, on stage with her and they are uh, doing a sexy little number together. Like he really can play and he really has that greased up muscular body. Yeah. Um, the, the punk tail. yeah I, my, uh, i get in fights about lost boys every year because the hottest lost boy is Dwayne, and there's just no arguing with me about that like everyone needs to just shut up Which but is um Dwayne. he's the dark uh haired uh he has like three lines um i think it oh what is the actor's name like billy something <clears throat>
1: so it's not alex winter
2: nope it's not paul <laughs> it's not um it's not michael jason patrick is so annoying in this um but you he know, does
1: look disturbingly <laughs> like Jim Morrison, though, in that film.
2: Oh, I don't oh, think so. That's like if I grew a beard, I'd look like any guy with a beard. He just has—he <laughs> has the same hair as as Jim Morrison. <clears throat> no, but um, that Lost Boys is fun. It's funny I, as a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old. I I watched it a lot. Um, but yeah, good good soundtrack too.
1: <laughs> I, I I sorry for distracting you from your.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's easy. I'm easily distracted. Oh, and I will say one more thing about Lost Boys. The Cole Stratton-Janet <laughs> Varney riff tracks of Lost Boys is excellent. So, Oh, really? Yes, give, give it a listen. It's good.
1: Okay. Um,
2: so my number
1: one, I mean, uh, okay. It, everybody that knows me is already fast-forwarded through this part because they're like, oh, gee, I wonder what your number <laughs> one is. Uh. Yeah. And it didn't used to be, I will be honest with you, about 20 years ago, it didn't used to be. Um, I, I used to despise this film because I was like, man, why is it just, why is it so violent and loud? Why does it have to be so, you know, I don't get it, you know. And then like now it's like I think I've seen it like a hundred times and it, 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 it's Suspiria um, uh-huh. from Dario Argento. I I love this film. I It just, it, it got to a point with me where... I, it just, it won me over and it, it's, uh, I had talked earlier with Blood and Black Lace about how you, you need to see a, uh, you know, a Blu-ray of it. The, the one that came out from Synapse, the 4k restoration of it. Oh my God. It's, I mean, the movie is already a beautiful film, but if you ever, if you have access to it, you've got to see the 4k because it is stunning. Um, the color palette in it, the uh, it, it's almost like, well, I, I believe Ar, you know, Argeno himself called it a fairy tale for adults. Right. And it really does have that fairy tale kind of feel to it. Um, uh, you know, originally, he had wanted to have uh, the girls at the academy um, played by 12-year-olds, but then his father was like, you know, you really can't be killing 12-year-old girls off. <laughs> uh <laughs> Paint it in, dude. With, with, with dude. barbed wire and right. stuff, you know. Um, and so, what he did instead was he made all the doorknobs higher, uh. so they have to reach higher for the doors and stuff. And, he's, and like you, you'll notice, like all the the ceilings are very high. Um, but just the the, the set design, the use of color, it, it just pops off the screen, and it, it, it really it sucks you into this this other world that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Yeah, there's some there's some things in it where you kind of go, huh? Right. What? You know, but in, in the end, it, it just absolutely uh, wins you over and it, it, it envelops you. And uh, every time I watch it, I, I, I can never just walk away from it and get a sandwich or whatever. I mean, I'm constantly uh, <clears throat> enthralled by it. And it is... Uh, it's a film that it's it's really a woman's film hmm. because there's really only one you know male character in the film at all that's given much to do, and and that's Udo Kier, who is in one scene as a psychiatrist, and then to a lesser extent he brings over a um, <clears throat> a professor of witchcraft uh, who who talks to Jessica Harper, um, but it is almost an entirely.
2: Uh, all female cast which does not in my book make something a woman's film but yeah this is a darling people love this one and before we proceed you please do not give me any spoilers about the remake um, because I have not seen it yet and I want to um, oh I've you know I work so hard to avoid spoilers but sometimes it takes me so long to get to something (laughs) it becomes a little bit harder to avoid um, yeah, my Twitter has been talking about uh, both the original and the remake a lot, and I'm trying to <coughs> avoid that until I can watch it. Well, well
1: uh, yeah, I I am not a fan of the remake. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just put it that way.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, especially <laughs> if you if this is your number one, uh, the original, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure anything's going to pale in comparison.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you you you've
2: you've uh, you like the Goblin soundtrack and Oh, I own yeah. that. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Cool.
1: Yeah, it it actually comes with the 4K Blu-ray. Nice. It's like a three-disc set. Um, and it's just oh my god. But so anyway. what
2: what changed for you? Like why did you you say you you hated it and now you love it? Well, I I guess at that point
1: in time I hadn't, I really hadn't been won over by Argento as a director. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing some of his other stuff, uh, like bird with the crystal plumage and, uh, deep red and cat of nine tails and Tenebrae and stuff. And I started going, wow, this guy is a master with the camera mm-hmm. and his editing and all of his films have, uh, really, you know, interesting scores by whether it's by goblin or Ennio Morricone, um, they, they become, for me, more than just a film, they're, they're much more an experience, and that's why his later stuff really disappoints me, because right. they become much more, they feel much more mainstream and, and, and less his own thing.
2: Gotcha.
1: And I, I think he he's really one of those directors, at least for that t- roughly 20-year span of his career, uh, who could be said in the same, you know, uh, company is 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 like a hitchcock as an auteur um i mean his films aren't for everybody because not you know because they are very violent and if you're not into that that can really you know i would never make my mother sit through (laughs) suspirium right you know I, i actually showed her like the first five minutes of it and then cut it before any of the mayhem began and uh you know and she was able to go oh yes that that looks cool and you know like the the color is beautiful and this and that you know and the soundtrack's interesting you know but I was like yeah I'm not gonna watch make you watch the rest of this so anyway
2: (laughs) yeah I was just talking about this with a friend last night because she was telling me some of the stuff she likes to watch and um I, I feel it's so irritating when someone tells you to watch something when they don't know what your taste is you know what right. I'm saying? It's like it's like there's a lot of stuff I like that I absolutely know my husband wouldn't like, or that you wouldn't like. And it's like part of part of that relationship is knowing what that other person is into, right? And yeah. instead of just blanket, oh, this is my favorite film, so you're going to love it. It's like uh, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I try and
1: gauge the crowd if I'm going to show something. You know, right. there's certain movies that I've wanted to show for my horror movie night, and I thought differently. Right because I was like, nah, is this going to bore them? Uh, you know, cause modern audiences either if, if uh, you know, an old film is too slow for them or is this too violent for right. them? I don't know. So I, yeah, I, well we, yeah. um,
2: we, I know we've got one more uh, thing to get to and we have a long podcast day. but you know, we just had this happen. Uh, my, my B movie compatriot, she got married a about a year ago and so her husband mm. comes to b-movie nights and so there's been that kind of reshuffling because i i tend to like to watch these 80s like sleazy mm-hmm. you know bulge packed like punch out um, films <laughs> and the new guy you know nicole's husband ian he doesn't really like those and a few months ago i showed plan nine i thought oh everyone's gonna like yeah. Nine. he was about to perish he was so bored and, oh my god that's such a wonderful yes, film and we rotate who picks films so two weeks ago he he picked um, Street Trash from 1987 wow. and it, w- it went over so poorly with everybody else <laughs> And he literally felt bad. And I'm like, dude, I said, there's no apologizing on B-Movie Night. You just like, we just got to pick up and move on. But that was a rough one. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think he might be
1: one of those into like a hobo with a shotgun. You were
2: saying a hobo with a shotgun. Oh, my God. Well, dude. he also had a watch Meet the Feebles. So I'm like, listen, dude, you got you to gotta pull it together. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's it's always hard when it's something you love and you put it on and you look over and your friend is either offended or bored. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> so, or both. In the case of street p- trash, it was boring and offensive. It was mostly just boring. So that's a
1: magical combination. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. It's quite a slog. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, so anyway, that's our top fives for this year. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll mix it up, uh, another time. But, uh, So uh, thanks again for joining us for our late Halloween special. But before we go, uh, I'd like to take this moment to say a few words about uh, the late, great Stan Lee, who uh, passed away at 95 this last week. Um, uh, You know, I grew up reading comics. Uh, I started reading comics when I was four years old. And I, you know, I was kind of like 50-50 Marvel DC, and then I would get some other stuff like Archie or... Uncle Scrooge or whatever, but really uh, Marvel comics was the, the, the first comics that felt like you were reading about real people, whether or not they were superheroes wasn't the point. Uh, I mean, you never heard about Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman or whatever, you know, having issues with paying the rent Mm. or, uh, dealing with racial inequality or, um, you know, any, any type of thing that, you know, everyday people have to deal with. And Stan Lee brought that into the modern day world of comic books and superheroes. And, you know, I mean, he started way back, you know, in the, in the 40s when he wrote uh, a little, um, you know, uh, text filler story uh, for Captain America number three. Um But, uh, you know, from that point on, you know, he moved up pretty quickly into, you know, writing actual, uh, you know, stories and creating characters of his own. And when he got to the 60s and he started creating Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all these other characters that everybody knows and loves now, uh, you know, I mean he turned around the fortunes of marvel comics and turned them into a force you know starting like uh, you know on the college campuses because college kids were really into the social consciousness and the social justice kind of mm-hmm. stuff that he had going on in those books you know I, he was the first one to you know have a, a comic book story about drug addiction uh, serious drug addiction with uh, you know it's uh, the amazing spider-man when uh, his His friend uh, became addicted to pills, mm-hmm. um, and that was a big deal because it was the first one since the Comics Code Authority came in to not have that certificate on it mm-hmm. because they, because it had drugs in it. Um, you know, and with you know characters like the X Men, you know, he, he used them as a, a, a way to talk about things like you know racial prejudice and uh, you know. When I found out about him passing away um, last weekend. I was surprised by just how upset hmm. I got and I mean I actually cried tears that I and I I was like like he was somebody that I knew. Hmm. And I think thanks to the way he promoted himself with like the Stanley soapbox that they had in every issue of comics and then, right. then later on, you know, of course his um uh his cameos in, you know, the various Marvel films, you know, he became kinda like everybody's, you know, uh, favorite grandpa.
2: Right.
1: And there's so much great about the man. He was a complex man. I mean, you know, people talk about all his arguments with both Steve Ditko or Jack Kirby about compensation or whatever. But, you know, people also tend to forget that Stan Lee was not the owner of Marvel Comics. He didn't control the money end of things. And so I tend to give him a little bit of slack on that. And, I, and, and really, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, he created so many characters that we talk about and watch today and these, these wonderful movies that they've come up with and these, new, these Netflix TV series that they've done. Right, right. And um, I, I think he's someone that's touched a lot of people, you know, of a lot of different age groups. And it, he's, he's someone that's never going to be replaced and I have here um, a little clip that I want to play uh, that he recorded recently about uh, Marvel Comics and his legacy. And uh, All
0: right. This is Stan Lee coming at you. I want you to know Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward To greater glory. In other words... Excelsior.
1: So anyway... Um... You know... There's there's a lot of people out there... That... You know... Like... I, I don't know if anybody... If you saw any of this... There's um... Bill Maher... Uh... You know... Yeah. Made fun of it. Right. And you know which is an asinine thing to say this is someone who, who shaped people's childhoods right. and there's a lot to be said about people who uh bring the arts whether it's writing whether it's it's painting or or film or music or whatever there's a lot to be said about people who give that because that, that they bring joy into people's lives and and he certainly did
2: yeah well uh, you know um I believe comic books are a completely valid thing to read, and it is reading. It's not practicing to read. It's literally reading, and it's one of those things that um, children, uh, I mean, are are we pretending that children like to go to school and sit there for nine hours and be taught how to read, or are we being honest that they want to read comic books? I mean, um, so to disparage that whole uh, world is, uh, yeah, it's asinine, it's rude, and it's not realistic
1: yeah so anyway um he'll be missed and now uh you know and we still have a couple of cameos of his to look forward to Mm -hmm. so next year so uh i believe he did one for captain marvel and one for uh the next avengers so you know that'll be nice
2: yeah well um i know that you were the first person i thought of when i heard that he had passed i i knew that you know he was hugely influential for you
1: yeah absolutely I actually have a, a big framed picture of Stanley sitting in a typewriter with all the Marvel superheroes behind him, mm. and it's a it's a really uh, really cool picture, and I'm I'm glad I've got it. And it's autographed by him, so <clears throat> um, so uh, as always, you can reach us at uh, moviemorg one at att.net. net and check out our facebook twitter and instagram feeds if you're so inclined uh great news our program will now be available on itunes starting next month uh join us on our next episode for our christmas holiday special with lots of stocking stuffers and other surprises (laughs) until next time as stan and spidey say with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) and we'll see you in december
2: Right. good night Tim.